It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. good pension is a joy forever, a guarantee of a decent retirement. These sort of pensions are often described as gold-plated. The scheme pays a guaranteed income in retirement that rises in line with inflation, and if a steel worker died, it would pay a reduced income to their spouse. But bad investment advice can turn a good pension into a poor one. I think by the time the maturity date of the pension, I would have lost probably about £125,000 a year. Sounds bad when you say it like that. This is the story of what happened to ordinary folk who did everything they were supposed to, who put their faith in what turned out to be terrible advice and were left quids out. You're listening to Stories of Our Times and the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today... The British Steel Pension Scandal. The British Steel Pension Scandal is something that has been trickling along for nearly five years now, but it's something that hasn't ever really come to a close. There are still workers who are only truly realising the extent of their losses and what happened to them now. Hundreds who have not yet been compensated or might not even know that they deserve compensation. Imogen Tew is the senior money reporter for The Times and The Sunday Times. I've been a financial journalist for about three years now, and I cover mainly pensions. An incredibly important, but incredibly complicated subject. You find out one thing and you learn about it and it opens about seven other doors that you've then got to to work out. One door Imogen was opening led to South Wales. What we wanted to do really was to go back to the start, to speak to some of the steel workers involved and to try to really document the way that they were let down at virtually every point of the process. It's a very interesting place, Portalbert. I'd love to hear about you going down there. Was it your first trip? It was the first time I'd been to South Wales at all, actually. Portalbert is beautiful. It's a small seaside town nestled between kind of the Bristol Channel on one side and some mountains on the other on the south coast of Wales. And it really has that feeling of one of those places where everybody knows everyone. There's around 35,000 people live there, around 4,000 of them are steel workers, but everyone seems to have lived there all their lives. And it's this really close-knit community really that has grown around the steelworks. If you pass by on the train, 
Those steelworks, they're huge. It almost seems like an optical illusion because you almost feel like you can see them from everywhere. And it doesn't, that doesn't seem to be physically possible. The steelworks is pretty vital to this area. When you get off the train station at the centre of the town, you kind of walk into the centre. There's a sculpture of a steelworker holding girders, which has been built as dedication to the generations from the area that have worked at the steelworks. Now, I remember, and this just shows how ancient I am, in the 60s and 70s, I was just a kid, but Labour would come to power pledging to nationalise the steel industry. And the Conservatives would come to power pledged to privatise it. But there was for a very long time a major nationalised industry called British Steel owning that. I, I believe that the company up until recently was still called British Steel. So people do still refer to it as British Steel. British Steel was privatised in 1988 and it went through several owners before the plant in Patalbert was sold to Tata Steel UK, which is part of the Indian conglomerate Tata in 2007. So it has gone through a number of hands since it was a, a national industry. And I think this is actually kind of key to understanding the backdrop of what these steel workers were facing. It all starts with the decline of the British steel industry. They've been familiar with uncertainty in their careers due to this slowing down for years, thanks to kind of cheap imports and automation. Right. So essentially, it has really been a story of decline, hasn't it? But hanging on to the last bits of it. They can produce up to five million tonnes of steel here every year. It's just money they're struggling to make. Losses are vast, say the owners Tata Steel, blaming cheap Chinese imports, a punitive exchange rate and high energy costs. It got to the point where in 2016, Tata Steel was reporting kind of five-year losses of £2 billion. As Tata's position got worse, it was kind of feared the firm could collapse or there would be heavy job losses. But the government was really keen to kind of save the British steel industry even though now it's not necessarily called British Steel. And so clinging on is exactly right. It was how can we keep this going forward when it's really been declining for decades? Here we have this town dependent upon an industry which is very much clinging on. Now, how did all this lead to an issue around pensions? In 2016, as Tata Steel was looking at its finances and not really sure how it was going to continue, this is really where the pension comes in. The British Steel Pension Scheme was another great weight on Tata Steel. Like many former nationalised industries, British Steel had a generous defined benefit pension. These sort of pensions are often described as gold-plated. The scheme pays a guaranteed income in retirement that rises in line with inflation. And if a steel worker died, it would pay a reduced income to their Spouse. These sort of pensions have all but disappeared from the private sector simply because they are too expensive to run. It's impossible for the scheme to keep paying these incomes in retirement as more and more people retire and live for longer. So with Tata in financial trouble, it seemed like an obvious solution potentially to kind of separate the pension scheme from the company. And a consultation was launched in 2016 to see if the pension scheme could in fact be separated. 
It was a scary time for the scheme's 130,000 members. One steel worker told me that they felt they would be out of a job and out of a pension if nothing changed. And another spoke about how the whole saga had basically just eroded trust between the staff and the company. I mean, people were fearful about their future, about their jobs, about their pensions and the steelworks themselves. Now, let us understand this because essentially what you're talking about is hiving off the pension scheme, which is seen as being too big a liability by the company. But of course, if it's a big liability for the company, it's a pretty big liability for anybody. So what you would anticipate happening is a loss of value of the pensions when that process begins, wouldn't you? There's a couple of things here. Partly when a scheme would get siloed off as such, it would stop new members so it start to try and become like a self-sufficient scheme that could stand alone so it's basically putting a stop to it and saying okay no more people can join this defined benefit pension scheme and new workers who join British Steel or Tata would then get a defined contribution pension which is what the majority of people in the private sector now have. There was also a chance that when a scheme fails a pension scheme fails They don't necessarily just go bust and everyone loses their pension. There is a lifeboat in place. It's called the Pension Protection Fund. And if your pension falls into the Pension Protection Fund, you don't lose your pension entirely, but you can lose up to 10% of its value as a way to try and keep that pension paying out. Now, we remember a lot of this from the BHS failure a few years back, and that was a, a pretty big scandal. But when this process begins... What are employees told that they need to do or that they can do with their pensions? The BHS scandal would have been ringing in these steel workers' ears, no doubt, as all of this was happening to them. Former BHS boss Sir Philip Green is facing growing pressure to dip into his personal fortune to help plug a massive £600 million black hole in the company's pension scheme. It comes after the last 22 high street stores closed this weekend. Every single scenario is different and a lot of people I've spoken to here have said that actually what happened with British Steel was a kind of specific set of events and each company and each pension scheme will make its own decision about how to move forward with their workers. When it comes to the steel workers, in August 2017, it was agreed that Tata Steel could detach itself from the company pension scheme as a way of basically saving itself and the pensions. And at this point, steel workers were given a choice of three different options. The first was to stick with the old British steel pension scheme. This was effectively the pension they already had, but because it was losing money, it was likely the scheme would fall into the PPF. The second option was to move to a new scheme, which is now called the British Steel Pension Scheme 2. It's less generous than the previous ones. This scheme was not yet confirmed, and the steel workers say they almost saw it as a phantom option. The third option was to convert their pension into a lump sum and transfer it out of the scheme altogether. If it sounds like a complex and tricky decision to make with your life savings, it's because it is. And the steel workers were actually given a 90-day time-to-choose deadline to make this decision. So they were absolutely rabbits in headlights. One of the steel workers Imogen met on her trip to Port Talbot was... Paul Goldhawk. I'm an electrical shift engineer. You could say steel is in the blood. 
My grandfather worked at the British Steel plant when he came back from the North Atlantic convoys in the Second World War. And my father was from London and he found himself working as a contractor, erecting one of the chimney stacks here at Port Talbot where he met my mother in the 1970s. Paul has been at British Steel for 21 years. He remembers those first conversations with colleagues about the future of their pensions. There was some shop floor rumours, as you can imagine, in the working environment that we are, people talk. And that's all that people were talking about then was the um, Tata were not sponsoring the British Steel pension scheme anymore. And the trustees of the British Steel pension scheme then were giving us some options. So who is advising these people on what to do? I mean, in the old days, you can imagine maybe there would be a union who would have financial advisors to help them out. But but who in Port Talbot was helping these people make the decision? The information the steelworkers were getting from the pension scheme and their employer and their union wasn't great. The Department for Work and Pensions has said it since that during this time, steelworkers were woefully undersupported. These information packs were sent to steelworkers that kind of outlined their options. A free telephone helpline was set up, roadshows were held, but some of these option packs were inadequate. I think around 4,000 of them lacked just basic information. There were only 18 staff in the pension scheme's office on hand to help, but there were 124,000 members who were trying to call up just to get basic information. So you had this situation where steelworkers had a few months to make massive decisions and they couldn't get through to anyone to find out any information about their pension. One still worker said they called the office more than 200 times trying to find out something and never got through. The still workers say that just nobody knew what to do. It was suddenly the only thing anyone was talking about at work, but nobody had any answers. So all these people who were frightened, they were going to lose everything under time pressure, under peer pressure in this close-knit community. And it really caused a huge issue for these people that had a lack of information from the scheme. Unfortunately, a lot of people were listening to their mates and listening to their colleagues and some people listened to their supervisors, assuming that they had more knowledge and may had some experience in it. But none of us did. We didn't know anything about the financial industry, really. Everybody was telling me at the time that you don't want to go into the PPF. That's the last thing that you want to do. So we started talking amongst ourselves in work, um, amongst the engineering teams that we have. And people were discussing then transferring out into a defined contribution scheme. So that's what the majority of people in my department were talking about at the time was transferring out then. This is actually where the financial advisors come into the picture. If you want to transfer a defined benefit pension that is worth more than £30,000, you have to get independent financial advice under FCA rules. So this means that even before a steel worker could make a decision on transferring out the scheme, they needed to find a financial advisor. And so at first, the steelworkers kind of really struggled with this, with thousands of people suddenly looking for advice the kind of well-known, reputable, local financial advice firms were booked up straight away. One steelworker said you could not get an appointment with a financial advisor for neither love nor money as this was all kind of starting to come out. But 
Financial advisors kept popping up in the town and so financial advisors descended on Patalba and the other towns in the country where this was happening to try and basically offer financial advice to these steel workers. Presumably other people around you were getting their own financial advisors. How did you go about the business of deciding who would make a good financial advisor for you? I'm always quite cautious because we're dealing with, you know, a substantial amount of money that I'd accumulated over the 17 years or so I'd been in the company at that time. So I looked on the internet on a website called unbiased.com and up came a list of IFAs, Independent Financial Advisors. And really then it was a case of jotting down their contact details, making some preliminary inquiries and then made my decision. It's a little bit, isn't it? It's a little bit like taking a piece of paper, shutting your eyes and stabbing a name with a pen, isn't it? Well, a little bit like that. But in the back of my mind, I was always like, these are regulated by the FCA. We're not talking about some dodgy dealings from the back of a car. So (laughs) I was fairly confident then from going from a website like unbiased.com into a FCA regulated financial advisor that I would be safe. And that gave me peace of mind. Who did you end up with? I ended up with a company called Active Wealth. After speaking to their financial advisor, his name was Darren, Darren Reynolds, his name was. He put my mind at ease. We had several telephone conversations and then he came down to my house then. He'd had several appointments from other people in Port Albert. And then I had a sort of feeling that, oh, right, other people have gone down the same route as me. So it sort of cemented the idea that I was doing the right thing as well. What did you make of him when you met him? Could you describe him to me? You know, he was a typical sort of grey-suited, well-presented, well-mannered, mid to late 40s. a gentleman, you know, quite charming, talking about my family, asking me questions about family holidays that I had upcoming. Basically told me everything that I wanted to hear and I didn't realise that I was being sort of duped, which was the frustration then because I'd allowed him into my house and it just went from there then. Transferring someone's defined benefit pension is lucrative work for financial advisors. I'd like to caveat this with some financial advisors that gave advice to steel workers were reputable, but many were not. When advising someone on whether or not to transfer their money out of the scheme, advisors could use contingent charging. So basically, they would only be paid if someone transferred out of the scheme. This meant that these advisors could just say to these steel workers, who bear in mind were at their wits end trying to work out what to do with their pension, they could say, oh, just come in for a chat. We'll only charge you if you end up transferring. So this was kind of really, really building in the town. I mean, during the time to choose period, posters and leaflets for advice firms started to appear in the walkways and the break rooms at the steelworks. They were offered free lunches. Some advisors held sessions on the golf course or in the pubs. Sometimes it was even more dark. One steel worker told me that he was offered £300 from his advisor for every colleague that he passed on who eventually transferred their pension. Whoa. Another was offered rugby tickets and a night away if he agreed to transfer. I mean, this point in time was later described as a feeding frenzy in Patalbert. And the steelworkers will be the first to admit that many of them wanted to transfer out. They didn't necessarily understand the full benefits of their pension. They didn't trust the scheme or Tata. But it's not the advisor's job to give the steelworkers what they wanted. It's the advisor's job to explain 
what was in their best interests and not many of them did that and it resulted in many steel workers transferring out the scheme. Coming up, just how much did the workers lose and what, if anything, are the authorities doing about it? But first... I'm Sabah Meddings, Chief Business Correspondent at the Sunday Times. My job gets me face-to-face with some of the UK's biggest employers, allows me to break the stories that matter from the world of business and explain why it matters to you. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Paul Goldhawk, an electrical engineer at the steelworks in Port Talbot, had taken the advice of his financial advisor Darren Reynolds and transferred his pension out of the company scheme into a fund. Reynolds had promised big returns on Paul's investment. With the amount of money that we were talking about and the age that I was, he'd regularly and comfortably seen returns of greater than 10% per year. He did explain to me that this is, you know, past performance isn't an indicator of future performance, but he was effectively telling me that the figures that I'd be looking forward to in retirement would be like lottery numbers. He said that the majority of years you'd be making more than 10%. And, you know, I'd done the maths myself, you know, it was it accumulated to a lot of money then. 
So it, it seemed like a good deal to you. Do you remember the moment you actually put your signature to signing your pension over to Active Wealth? I do. He came down again to my house. He was with a colleague from another company. They were going around visiting other people, doing the same sort of thing that day. He was charging me a flat fee of £1,500 to facilitate the transfer, which was cheap in comparison to some of what my other colleagues were paying. So I thought I was having a good deal all around, you know. And when I signed it over, I think we were going away, my wife and I, that week. And I remember telling her actually in the car that I've done this now and everything going well. We'll, you know, look forward to a, a secure and happy retirement. I was nervous, but nervous, excited, if that makes sense. So what happened to the money of those who did transfer out of the pension scheme? There are two kind of different scenarios that played out here. On the one hand, you had advisors who basically saw that people wanted to transfer out the scheme, knew they could make a bit of money from it. And bear in mind, these advisors were charging between £1,500 and £10,000 roughly for the advice. Or if they were working in percentages, it was between 1% and 3% of the overall transfer value, which averaged at about £400,000. So quite lucrative work. So some of these advisors just transferred the Steelworks pensions into fairly boring vanilla investments. Uh, I'm talking about your kind of Aviva personal pensions or Royal London, the big pension names. They just did the transfer, pocketed the cash, and that was that really. They might have also agreed to look after the Steelworkers pension going forward, meaning they might be getting an annual fee from the Steelworker as well for kind of managing the fund. The worst thing here is that most of the Steelworkers were given unsuitable advice here and they would have been better off staying in the pension scheme. But these Steelworkers haven't lost their pension. What they have lost is the guaranteed income in retirement and instead they have a pension that is at the whim of the stock market. They've got a lump sum invested in it that they're going to have to manage throughout their retirement and many talk about how this causes them constant worry. That is probably the majority of Steelworkers. Then on the other hand, you have the occasional really rogue case where the steelworkers' pensions were put into really risky offshore investments where a lot of the money has actually been lost. These advisors would have been getting some cut from whoever was running the investments to kind of funnel the cash into these places. Now, when did you first begin to realise that things might not have gone as brilliantly as you'd hoped? I was very cautious about it, hence why I didn't just go to the local financial advisors in Portal, but I went through the website unbiased. So I was looking and reading and constantly reading the news and Twitter and Facebook and whatnot about the British Steel Pension, because there was a lot in the media, the local media around it. And there were some negative remarks around Active Wealth and Darren Reynolds. And obviously, alarm bells started to ring then. I phoned up that very day then to Intelligent Money, which is where my money was kept. It was like a SIP wrapper firm. A SIP is a self-invested personal pension, a type of personal pension for savers who want to make their own investment decisions. So I phoned them up and I told them to hold my money in cash and not to invest it in Darren's investment portfolio until he had written confirmation from myself. So effectively, I put a stop on the money before it got invested. I was quite on the ball with that, and I was very lucky. The Department for Work and Pensions um, described some of the financial advisors as vultures who kind of swooped in and basically 
expect these steel workers to get a bit of their pension. As well, it's important to to say here that the advice that these steel workers were given was bad advice. Even if the steel worker went in wanting to transfer their pension, they were never told about oh, well, your pension's going to be invested in the stock market. This can go up and down. As I said, the schemes were so generous that the transfer values were often very high. The average was around 400,000, somewhere as high as 1 million. I mean, these are astronomical sums. The average house price in Patalba is around 150,000 pounds. The advisors were saying, these are lottery figures. It's a no-brainer, total win-win. Get your money out. You'll get a 5% a year investment return. You can retire early. And it was sold to the steelworkers as if there was no other option that was worth their time. Now, when did the authorities, the FCA, the Financial Ombudsman, get involved? And perhaps you might remind us a bit about what the FCA is and what it was set up to do. The FCA is the Financial Conduct Authority, and it's the city regulator, so it essentially regulates all regulated activities and giving financial advice is one of those activities. You also have TPR, the pensions regulator, who regulates pension schemes such as the British Steel Pension Scheme. They're the main people that were involved at this point in time. By November 2017, which is about two months into the time to choose period, fears were growing at the FCA that steel workers were being targeted in this way. In December, six firms that had been working in Batalbot stopped advising on pension transfers after the FCA got involved. And as Christmas approached, kind of the FCA and TPR held a meeting in a pub in Batalbot basically telling steel workers to complain to their financial advisor if they were unhappy with the advice given. So it was around this point that thousands were kind of slowly realising that they had been misled. Some were even signed off from work with stress. What is clear about this, though, is that the FCA was initially blindsided. A report by the National Audit Office said that the FCA had no data on the number of transfer requests or the state of the advice market in areas like Patalbert, where the steel workers lived. So while the FCA says that it was reactive when it found out about things, this was almost a disaster waiting to happen that I think looking back now, most people can see it was somewhat inevitable and the regulators were not quick off their feet to protect these steel workers. I imagine that quite a lot of the steelworkers have thought that regulations would be in place to prevent something like this from happening. I think these advisors were not behaving within the rules that the FCA sets out. But at the end of the day, the FCA should have better view of the workers within their regulatory perimeter in order to see that this was going to happen and to take preventative steps in order to stop these steelworkers being badly advised. Steelworkers Imogen spoke to had properly checked that the advisors they used were registered and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. And these financial advisors were regulated and and they did have the correct permissions, but they just saw an opportunity to take advantage of these steelworkers and the FCA did not know it was happening until it was too late. When the FCA uh, and others looked into this, did they single out any uh, of these advisors for particular criticism? Kind of unbelievably, to date, only one financial advisor has actually been fined. He worked for a company called Retirement and Pension Planning Services. He was found to have made £1.2 million from pension transfers. He made how much? 
he made 1.2 million from pension transfers. That's not all from steel workers, but he's the only financial advisor who has been fined. Darren Reynolds from the advice firm Active Wealth UK. Who had advised Paul. He's been struck off the FCA's register and he's been banned from being a director as well. But as far as I know, he's not had to pay a fine. Right. Now, let's talk about what people have lost. And I realise this is complicated because what they have lost is over what the possible other alternatives were. So it's a difficult judgment to make. But can we say anything about the scale of it? It is extremely difficult because what you're kind of quantifying is giving up a guaranteed income in retirement versus an invested pension. There are some numbers, though, that come out of reports. The National Audit Office found that some workers lost as much as £489,000 of retirement benefits. And the problem here is that many of the advice firms that gave bad advice have now gone insolvent, which means that they can't pay compensation claims that actually put someone back in the position that they would have been in had they not had the bad advice. When a financial firm collapses, you can still claim against them, but you have to go through the financial services compensation scheme, which has a limit of £85,000. Sounds like a lot of money, but if you've lost close to half a million and your your payout is capped at 85000 then you're not being left in a great scenario. Paul's losses are also in six figures. Roughly AT have lost about £125,000. £125,000. Yeah. In the simple act of taking your money out of that pension scheme and briefly putting it with Darren Reynolds, but then holding it uninvested, you lost £125,000. Yeah, I think by the time the maturity date of the pension, I would have lost probably about £125,000, yeah. Sounds bad when you say it like that. And as things stand he'll keep paying for the decision to move his pension. At the time, I didn't realise the ongoing charges and things I'm going to have to pay now for the rest of my life. That money is gone, effectively, whereas I didn't have to worry before. What possibility does anybody have of getting any of their money back, or is that the end of it? Most steel workers who were given bad advice should be able to get some form of compensation from either the advice firm itself or, as I said, if it's now defunct, from the compensation scheme. The problem here is that as it's incredibly difficult to quantify exactly what your losses are, it is very difficult to put someone back in the position they would be of this gold-plated pension scheme that they transferred out from. Whilst there is an opportunity for compensation, most of these steel workers will never be put back properly as to where they would have been had these financial advisors not given bad advice. In an added twist, steel workers are being offered different levels of compensation for their losses. If you take two people with very similar pensions who both transferred out after unsuitable advice, one might get £25,000 and the other might get £85,000. And these Mm. guys know each other, they're in the same community, and they're really struggling to understand kind of the rhyme and reason behind some of the compensation payouts. I don't want anything more than anybody else. I know they're not going to put me back where I was, but give me the same compensation as they're giving people who have lost far less money. That's the frustration as well. People have lost far less and they're getting compensated far more. I I don't know how they can sleep at night, the people that make these decisions, I really don't. It's like a virus, 
that's taken over the steelworks. There's a lot of resentment there, you know, as you can imagine. While the Financial Services Compensation Scheme has paid out £37.3 million in compensation so far, workers are still £18 million out of pocket. The FCA is proposing a redress scheme for British steel workers because they're concerned that not enough eligible people have so far claimed compensation. So it will require firms to contact those who might benefit. I just don't think that the FSCS and the FCA realise the damage is done. Someone like myself has gone through a government website, looked to see if they're regulated by the FCA, another government institution, and then I've been let down at every single hurdle, and it's incredibly frustrating. And I didn't tell my wife about it for three or four months. I was so embarrassed. As far as you know, is the government going to do anything about all this? So still workers who might not realise they've had unsuitable advice will actually be contacted by their advice firm saying you may have a reason to claim against us. For those that got advice from firms that have now collapsed, the compensation scheme will do the same. There are moves being made to try and at least partly compensate the steel workers that were affected by this. There have also been some lessons learnt since the scandal contingent charging, which is where the advisor only gets paid if you transfer, has been banned. And the regulators say that they now do work more closely together, with the FCA being blindsided with the pension transfers because the pensions regulator could see the data, but the FCA couldn't. Hopefully, something like this won't be able to happen again. You talked about how he was struck off by the FCA. Has he, Darren Reynolds, made any response to the charges against him? Darren Reynolds ended up transferring 288 people, some of whom were steel workers, out of their workplace schemes. And this is estimated to cost them £24 million. As we mentioned, he was banned from being a director of a company for 13 years in 2021 for failing to act in clients' best interests. We contacted Reynolds for this podcast, but he declined to comment due to an ongoing legal case. He did write to the Department for Work and Pensions Committee in 2018. He said that in all cases, clients were advised that if their primary aim was to maximise a guaranteed income in retirement, then their interest would be best served by remaining in the final salary pension scheme. However, he said that if a client considered other factors to be a priority, such as the flexibility that a defined contribution pension can give you, then that's why he advised people to transfer out. Nevertheless, many of Darren Reynolds' clients feel as if they have been badly advised. Active Wealth UK went into administration, so all of Darren Reynolds' clients are claiming at the FSCS rather than against Active Wealth. Just one final thought from you, Imogen. What do you take from all this? It's really hard not to look back on it now and think that it just feels inevitable. My one hope really is that the regulators have learnt their lessons. These are clearly all potholes in our system that drastically need to be filled in because these are people's life savings we're talking about and it's a really, really serious issue. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, my guests, Times and Sunday Times senior money reporter Imogen Tew, and Paul Goldhawk, electrical engineer at Tata Steel. You can read more of Imogen's work at thetimes.co.uk 
or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.